but there's more of the realisation that, you know, I think over the last few years I've been coming um, very interested in the whole deconditioning, but the whole construct of society, the idea of um, how we structure our jobs, the 40-hour work week, mm. the, you know, the, the, the role of the fem- feminine and all the patriarchy society, and you look at, but everything is just really a construct that we've created. Mm-hmm. And it, it was obviously created by by people at certain points in time throughout history because it worked for the, the greater good of society. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we're holding on to that just isn't that important. Oh, hi there. Welcome to episode 33 of the Level Up with KDB podcast. So happy to have you here. Today, I'm chatting with my friend, Manda Trevathan, who is a human design manifester. I've been wanting to chat to Amanda about her journey embodying her human design for a while now because out of all the people that I've done just individual readings for, Amanda is probably one of the people that has spent the most time, you know, investigating, looking at different ways to embody her design and really embracing the journey. And throughout that journey, she's actually just got some incredible insights into what it actually takes to embody your human design and how that journey looks in real life. Today, she's going to share with you one of her biggest pieces of advice that she's got for human design manifestors. And it is a surprising one, I think, because it does fly in the face of a lot of common advice that we all get given when we're on our human design journey. And I think it's just such an important message for all of us to hear because she hits the nail on the head. But I'm going to leave it to her to help you understand more about this incredible unique perspective on embodying your design, especially as a manifester. I know you are going to get so much out of this really awesome episode, so settle in and enjoy the ride. Welcome, Amanda, to the Level Up with KDB podcast. So happy to have you here. So good to be able to have a yarn with just a great friend who is already on a like a really deep journey into embodying her human design. So I'm so grateful that you're here. Thanks, Penny. Nice to see you. Yes, and you've just got back from their most incredible holiday, which sounded amazing, settling back into normal life. Um, so I am, yeah, just grateful that you've got time to come and spin a yarn and share your insights with the listeners for sure, because you are, your energy type is a manifester. And there's not that many manifestors out there. You are kind of somewhat of a minority in the human design world, aren't you? <laughs> Funny thing is that you don't really see it that way because it's just the way you are. Um, but, by the time I got into human design, I realized that I see the world different to the way a lot of people see it. But you can't really understand, I can't see how other people see it. So you don't really think of yourself as a rarity too much. Yeah, well, I love to hear that because that just means that you, you're you just in tune with who you are without really comparing it to other people, which is just such a beautiful way to live. <laughs> But you've got some really interesting aspects of your chart and you also have gone quite heavily down the rabbit hole to understanding your chart, which is why I was so excited to talk to you today. So how long have you been working with your human design and what got you intrigued in the first place? I'm not entirely sure. So I've probably been working with human design only two to three years, I'd say. Uh, You would probably have a better idea than I would because my first experience with human design was a reading with you. Uh, when you first started doing readings. And really, I, I did that out of curiosity, um, did the reading with you, found out as a manifester, went, oh, yeah, that's nice, put it on my journal, put it on the shelf, ignored it. 
Um, but like so many other things, I think in life where it's if it's meant to be in your realm of your reality, it keeps coming back to you. So then human design started popping up in different places and different conversations. And that was when I thought, oh, okay, maybe I really should have a better look at this. And then that was when I started going down the rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, when they get into human design, they like it because there's so much of their, their human design chart that actually makes sense in the real world. When they, when they look at things, they go, oh, that makes sense. Or that explains why I'm like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of behavioral aspects of our human design that are recognizable when you get your chart read to you. Do you reckon? Do you think that that's like accurate? <laughs> yeah, I think it is accurate. Um, I'm not sure if it's so much just when you get your chart read to you. It took me a while, I think, to sit with it and for it to actually like simmer down as opposed to, I suppose, being a manifesto. Somebody just telling me this is what I'm like from a chart reading. It's like, yeah, I have a think about that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what does being a manifester mean to you? Like, how do you relate to being a manifester? Um, It's probably, again, not really the the totality of being a manifester, I suppose, that I relate to. Um, There's part of it. So when I first found out about the repelling aura, um, Mm -hmm. that makes sense because it's, I don't know, when you've got a past history where you feel like you don't fit in and you've got those examples in life where you don't fit in. I've had a performance review based on the fact that I looked unimpressed in meetings. Um, as my husband said at the time, you've looked unimpressed the entire 15 years I've known you. Um, <laughs> so, but but that's, that seems to be like not an uncommon experience for a manifester in terms of because, you know, we, we seem to come off, and I've seen it in other manifestors, I can't see it in myself, but I have seen it in other manifestors where they do come off as a little bit cold or standoffish. Mm-hmm. And it's it's only by knowing the fact that I know myself and you don't actually feel that way inside. It's just the way you kind of present to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have experiences with that. So I suppose that made a lot more sense why I found it harder, I suppose, to fit in or maybe do relationships with people. I'm not, I'm my um, solar plexus isn't defined, so I'm not an emotional authority. So I think that makes it even a little bit harder as well, all the emotions that you don't kind of register so much. Mm-hmm. So it's th- th- those aspects of being a manifesto I relate to. Um, and, and I made the comment to you about yeah, strategy and authority that I don't relate to. Yeah, I uh, this was just so intriguing to me because, yeah, I have my ideas about why you said that. So for everyone listening, Manda mentioned to me, sent me a message the other day, and she said, I think this episode should be called Why Following Your Strategy and Authority is the Worst Advice Ever for a Manifestor Starting Their Human Design Journey. And I was just like, oh, my God, I need to hear. Like, I really want to hear what your thoughts are on this. So please, please share. <laughs> okay, so that one was based on, it was definitely based on starting the human design journey. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm basing this on my own experience, obviously, the manifest manifest a strategy to inform um and then my authority i'm a splenic authority so very the intuitive hits and things so the reason um like when you first start your journey every every man this dog is saying just follow your strategy and your authority just follow your strategy and your authority i'm definitely guilty of preaching that (laughs) (laughs) well strategy to inform so i think I think for a lot of people, but definitely manifestors, you've, you've come with so much conditioning mm-hmm. um, and you probably come to human design, or I certainly did when there's a lot of other stuff going on in life that you're trying to make sense of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really, like I know what the word inform means, but trying to apply that in a practical sense, um, you know, what am I going to do is inform my boss that I think she's an idiot and I don't want to work there or 
you know, there was a lot of sort of anger and annoyance. And so I'm not sure what's informing us because there's some things that you really just need to shut up about. So I found that quite difficult. Um, and then with, with my strategy being splenic, is it's such a quiet voice mm-hmm. that I've always been intuitive all my life. And every now and then there'll be a really strong intuitive hit on something that, that I know without a doubt but that doesn't happen very often. Getting into the sort of intuitive authority on a day-to-day basis is taking a lot more effort. Yeah. Well, that's actually quite interesting because I just only an hour ago um, put a post up about sacral, uh, why things might not be working out for you, even though you think you're following your strategy and authority, essentially. And I think a lot of it comes down to, as you say, actually we kind of need to look at the conditioning that we are already like working with before we can be in full trust of our strategy and authority. And we need to really be in a place where we feel safe before we start like fearlessly following our strategy and authority because there can be repercussions. And if you're not mentally, spiritually, energetically probably physically uh, well and strong and resilient. And and that doesn't mean you have to be 100% in all those things. But if you don't have some level of that, then it can be, it's a bit of a responsibility because you've got to put up with triggering other people. You have to be able to carry that and be a little bit bold about receiving the backlash. But you're right as well. Not everything needs to be spoken you know um to the people <laughs> like telling your boss they're a fuckwit or <laughs> um but I think more so for manifestors it really is about informing people what you are creating what your passions are why you're doing things that you're doing and and stuff like that rather than necessarily just full out blasting your opinion everywhere not that that's not okay but your strategy is more designed to help attract people support you on your life path rather than just like informing for the sake of informing um and that's a bit of a delicate sort of dance to weave and learn and negotiate right (laughs) and that's one of those ones too of um you know, to inform people of your path and the direction you're moving in, which I definitely agree with now, sort of two to three years on. Um, but it was quite hard in the beginning with all the sort of conditioning and, and trying to, as I say, it was a transition time in my life just after my mother had passed away. So I wasn't really, I wasn't really sure what direction I was going in as well, which made it harder. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that that's like kind of part of the fun and the journey, like easy for me to say, right? But because you can there are no rules about whether you start on one path and that path goes from a to b and it's smooth sailing and linear or whether you pick something up and change and get excited about one thing follow an urge for a little while and follow it you know for as long as it needs to be but then again you've got to deal with societal expectations on what it means to pick something up and then drop it again and stickability and all those sorts of things so yeah, there's a lot of probably, I would say, a lot of navigating external expectation. How do you feel you go with that sort of thing now? Uh, definitely a lot better now, but it was a lot harder in my younger years, I think. Um, very much conditioned on the traditional idea of success and the job and the career. 
and it's been more, you know, as, as you get older, you know, the, the blessing of getting older is you really don't care what other people think so much, which is a nice relief. Um, so that makes it easier as well. Um, I'm also a 3-6, so mm. moving into the sixth phase of life, um, which I think comes with all of that as well, and that wisdom of being, you know, I, I, I'm just the old crone. I quite like being the old crone. <laughs> I I wouldn't um, straight off the bat think of you that way, but I do, now that you say that, I'm like, you do seem very wise, always very wise. Um, the old, not so much, but the wise, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, your 3-6 profile, your incarnation cross, some of the gate activations and being a manifester, you do have super interesting energy that is, you know, that whole 3-6 sort of living life the first half of your life as a three profile with that experiential learning do you relate to that do you feel like that was relevant to you <laughs> yeah um, I'm I'm definitely I'm still a three I'm very much the three I'm doing all the things and curious of everything uh, and that's something I found yeah throughout life because I'm never going to be one of those specialist type people I, I would love to have sort of been passionate about a particular career and focused on that um, but I've always been somebody who goes down the tangents and then the other part of that too is just even just trying to learn something new where people might research and find out the proper way of doing it. I just jump into it and go, oh, well, yeah, don't do it that way again in future. <laughs> that <laughs> yes, that is like classic line, line three right there. And you are, I think you're on the roof at the moment for, for your sort of the sixth part of your profile. So um, how do, do you relate to that sort of energy at all at the moment or? Um, not, not so much, not really hugely. It's not one I've worked with a lot. Um, yeah. There's a degree of it where you are a little bit more of the um, less affected observer. You, there is a degree of that that I do feel on a day-to-day basis, less concern with sort of the day-to-day or things that maybe how do I put it? Things that maybe might have bothered me or or affected me. Um, there's a lot of things now that, that don't. Um, yeah. Or certainly to the same degree, but it's just just not worth my energy to be, you know, concerned with. Yeah. Like you've kind of. Do you feel like it's because you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, kind of, or? Yeah, but part of it's probably to a degree been there, done that. There's a lot of life experience, but there's more of the realization that. You know, I think over the last few years I've been coming um, very interested in the whole deconditioning, but the whole construct of society, the idea of um, how we structure our jobs, the 40-hour work week, mm. the, you know, the, the, the role of the fem- feminine and all the patriarchy society. And you look at but everything is just really a construct that we've created. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously created by, by people at certain points in time throughout history because it worked for the, the greater good of society. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we're holding on to that just, isn't that important in, in terms of, you know, getting back to what truly feeds our soul, what's truly important to us. For most of us, that would be our families. However that's comprised of, they may be good friends, it might might be your fur babies, but that sort of real connection with your soul and the things that matter. Do you feel like that understanding of your actual physical energetic output has been helpful for you as a manifester? The well, whole... The physical- like being non-sacral and 
Yeah, being non-sacral, needing a lot of rest, because I was just thinking about, you know, um, when we first met, you were in a different role in your work life and you were working a lot longer hours and that wasn't feeling great to you, was it? Like it wasn't. And now you've wound back to just three days a week and Mm. which means you've got a bit more freedom over your own time, how you how you rest and what you spend your energy on did that I know that it made sense to you when you found out like oh yeah I'm not designed to be working nine to five in the in the way that you were before but have you found dialing back and having more sort of autonomy over your time and how you use your energy to be quite helpful yeah I think that's something I'm still working on in terms of there's always more that I want to do that than what my energy is going to let me do mm-hmm. um I, I always knew, like all my life, that I don't have the same level of energy as other people. That was quite clear to me. I, I need a lot more sleep, and I'm a complete bitch if I don't get it. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, a lot more than than pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> I think anybody else I know, I could quite happily sleep ten hours a night every night. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't get that, but it's <laughs> um, particularly when it's around the World Cup, that doesn't help. So the energy levels and, and being non-sacral, I think that made sense. But I think more important, and this is what I'd say going back to following the strategy and authority, what I think actually makes more sense for people um, and when they're coming into human design is to look at their defined and undefined centres. Mm. And I think that's the big one. And I, I there also seems to be certain centres that resonate for people. Um, so for me, my only defined centres are my spleen, my heart and my throat. Mm-hmm. So the throat and the spleen is defined. That makes a bit of sense with, you know, those are the ones I relate to. Uh, but undefined with the undefined head and the undefined root, those two, I think, being undefined puts you on a hamster wheel where you kind of feel like there's pressure to do it and your head asking all these questions that it doesn't have the answers for. And I found it really beneficial just recognising that spiral between, particularly between the head and the root and go, oh, okay, so that's where a lot of my conditioning comes from. Yes. Yeah. Super interesting. So for the people that are listening that don't know too much about the different energy centers, the crown and the root energy centers are our only two pressure centers in our chart. So the way you can think about it is these are the sort of energy centers that we experience pressure from. And both of them actually kind of have the effect of pushing energy through our charts. And if they're undefined, um, as Amanda, as Amanda was saying, through your undefined crown, you can experience never-ending amounts of inspiration and almost questions that you want to solve, like endless questions that you just feel the pressure to to understand and get to the bottom of. And from the undefined root energy center, that's where we're connected to our adrenaline. And so we can have that pressure to to do and create and the pressure to be free from obligations and stuff like that. So that that's why Manda's talking about that kind of being on a hamster wheel because if you don't recognize it you can kind of chase your tail and never get anywhere is that what you mean Manda? yeah it is that um yeah never getting we've also the constant pressure of you know the head asking questions which i'm never really going to have answers to so i'm definitely somebody particular three i need to take action i need to experiment and that's how i learn where a lot of societies get around you know thinking it through and having that plan and following the plan Mm. and i just that's not how I work. So, mm-hmm. um, and you can make yourself miserable trying to force yourself to work in a way that you're just not designed to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually totally agree with you on understanding the defined and undefined um, just energy centers. I think what's interesting is a lot of people, when they start getting into human design, really want to know a lot about the individual gates. And whilst there is a lot of really beautiful information in there, I think the the basics are actually a lot more helpful on a practical level day to day. And I would say that the the definition or lack of in your energy centers is part of that. And I actually have um, a process that you you saw when you came to the retreat of kind of rebalancing, realigning your energy centers based on just literally asking yourself questions with, based on whether you have a defined or undefined um, center just to help you gain clarity on how you are processing energy in those spaces and what you might be able to do to realign that. Did you find that process helpful at all when we kind of went through it? Like back to that one, um, I probably did. Like working with the, definitely working with the energy centers is probably where I found the fastest hits and the easiest um, way to incorporate my human design. Yeah. Um, and, and it was then through that that made it a lot easier for me to work with my strategy and my authority. Yes. Um, and to listen to my spleen um, with, with knowing that a lot of the voices and the pressure that I'm hearing about I should do this or this question is coming from those undefined centers. Yeah. Did you do anything to help? make the voice of your spleen and your intuitive knowing feel louder? Um, it's definitely listening to your spleen. The more you actually listen to your spleen, I think the louder it gets. Mm-hmm. What, is it, um, what does it feel or sound like to you? Is it always the same? Or Yeah, I actually get a physical sensation. So it's like, like this kind of sensation in my abdomen in a particular place, which is kind of like this weirdly excited, happy dance. It's, it's weird, but it, it is happening more and more often. Oh, that's so cool. Um, one of the things that I found particularly useful with, with as, as you said, just being overseas, um, the first time traveling to a new country for a number of years, and definitely since I got into human design, um, one thing I really found that that was helpful for figuring out my head and getting my my head center, my undefined head center, because it didn't really have a lot to offer me while being overseas. So it was a lot easier. So you're in a new country, so the head's going, oh, yeah, we've got transport to the accommodation, we've got accommodation. And then my head's like, well, I'm out because I've got no other information because I'm not a big person to research before I go. So it, it was a lot easier to sort of like notice that impact of the undefined head centre because all of a sudden it's not really being helpful and I could rely on the body more and on intuition and just go with that. That's so interesting. So how did that show up? So did you find that you were getting more intuitive nudges while you were on holiday? Yeah, definitely um, more intuitive nudges. Like I, I was doing each day just solely by by sort of intuition, obviously traveling with somebody else and where they wanted to go. But it was a lot easier just to concentrate on what my body wanted at the time, which is like, I want to rest now, I want food, I want to go here. Um, and then because also you take away all the responsibilities of I'm not cooking dinner, I'm not walking the dog, I don't have to go to work. or So, so that makes it a lot easier to give you that sort of completely free space for a while. That's so cool. Like what a fun experiment and probably one you weren't expecting to have Really, it was probably like a fun side effect of being on holiday. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And do you feel like you've dragged that back, like you've been able to incorporate that back into your day-to-day life since you've been back? Yeah, a little bit. It's, um, yeah, still juggling with, you know, the dog's got to be walked whether I want to or not. 
but I suppose being more aware of what it can look like when you take away all those sort of day-to-day responsibilities and really quiet the head centre and just getting more used to, you know, what is the voice of the undefined head or the undefined root, particularly those two pressure centres for me. Yeah. Um, as, as opposed to the defined centres of what I should be relying on. Yeah. I am wondering if you have found that you, has the trust in your intuitive knowing increased like in the last little while since you've had these experiences? I don't know if it's so much trust because I have always trusted it. I have okay. had those experiences in life where every now and then I'd get a really strong intuitive hit and would turn out to be accurate, mm-hmm. but that was very infrequent. Um, so definitely more intuitive nudges the more I listen to them and follow them the more it is sort of showing up. But the trust, I think, was always there. What pans out for you when you don't follow your intuition, when you don't follow your splenic nudges, typically? Yeah, it's probably the most low-grade frustration. So they talk about the not-self-theme of anger Mm -hmm. um, for manifestors, but that's where... For me, it wasn't so much sort of like anger as in terms of the traditional sense of how you define anger, but this kind of sort of low-grade, constant sort of frustration, um, annoyance, negativity kind of thing. Mm. I've always, I, I think I mentioned this when I did the Reflector episode a while ago, because obviously as a generator, I can only really give guidance and support to other energy types based on the theory of what I've learned not of my own lived experience and from what other people share with me. But I I truly believe that no matter what energy type you are, like our charts and just the fact that we're humans makes us way too complex for, for you to be put into some sort of another like cookie cutter box, a, a human design cookie cutter box. But the anger and peace So I always kind of thought of the anger as like that sort of anger that you feel like on a visceral level when you feel like you're being kind of squished to made small, to be made small, to to not be able to pursue your dreams, to kind of dim to fit in. That the opposite, the kind of reflection or the rebound of having that kind of forced upon you was how I imagined the anger of a manifester might manifest. How would you describe that? So you said like a low-level sort of frustration. Is it visceral? Yeah, it's just kind of probably annoyance would be the way. I mean, don't get me wrong, I can, I can have moments of anger and, you know, that whole having to respond to something, um, you know, the, the, if, if you have to res- respond to something you don't want to and even something as simple as like, oh, I've got to, got to do the dishes because somebody else hasn't done them before I cook dinner, um, and, and I can get quite pissed off about things like that. <laughs> Uh, particularly if my energy levels are low but a lot of the time it's more just like like you're annoyed with it all you're yeah. annoyed that you have to walk the dog you're annoyed that you have to go to work you're annoyed yeah but probably annoyed is probably just that that sort of kind of as a constant feeling um and I do think that also affects energy levels yeah so I think that that kind of helps suck up some of your your uh, limited energy anyway Mm, yeah, well, that would make sense if you think really the whole concept of the not self theme is to kind of tap you on the shoulder and remind you that you're probably not quite in alignment, so to speak. Um, so if that's the case, to me, if it's like, you know, if you relate it to a car wheel alignment, you're using more energy when your wheels aren't 
in alignment, right? So it would be draining to to have that sort of simmering low levels or or you know, all consuming misalignment, so to speak. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think probably quite helpful for um, any manifestors or manifesting generators out there um, as well, because they have a bit of a combination of of your energy as well. What about the signature theme of peace? Do you relate to that? Yeah, peace or I define maybe as the absence of annoyance. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I, I suppose, yeah, because I, I find the words like peace and anger are quite strong words. And when you look mm. at that in the traditional um, sort of context of our society in terms of how we define that, they're big words. Mm. Uh, when I first heard about the not-self not theme of anger, I thought, I don't really get angry. And I don't get full-on yelling, raging, full-on angry very often. That's like once in a very rare occasion. I do get pissed off quite a lot and annoyed and frustrated. Um, mm. So that made a lot more sense when I put it in that context. And then the, the same with peace. It's not like the sort of blissful feeling where you're sitting on a cloud where life is peaceful and everything's wonderful and the care bears are roaming the fields. It's more, <laughs> it's more of just a feeling of there's nothing irritating me at the moment. Like there's nothing annoying me. Like I'm comfortable with where I am and what I'm doing. I'm not feeling pressure to do other things. Like, you know, I'm you know, happy with what I'm doing um, and a lack of anything sort of pressing on my conscious going, like, you've got to do this or you've got to do that or that kind of annoyance or somebody's asking something of you that you don't want to give or any of that. Mm. Yeah. So do you consciously kind of apply your not self and your signature theme on a day-to-day level because I've got a few clients who actually one of their favorite parts of their design is their 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 signature and their not self because that's just their little reminder like oh fuck I haven't been following my strategy and authority or you know it's just that real easy almost like alarm I'm thinking of in the aircraft master caution master warning goes off to to remind you like oh something's not quite right do you feel that way or not so much yeah, I do. It is a good guidepost. Like, like if you're feeling, um, yeah, this, this sort of annoyance and irritation where you might snap somebody's head off and they don't deserve it, that's usually a good point to go, what can I change about this right now? And, and some of it's hard because obviously if you're in the context of work, there's a lot of things that you can't change mm. and you have to kind of suck it up. But definitely in, when I've got the freedom to change the schedule or what I'm doing, I do try and work with that. Yeah. I remember talking to you at the retreat about your incarnation cross because you mentioned that that is also a part that you really identified with, right? Um, I'm still working on it. Like I've, I've been doing a bit of work with it, trying to um, figure out exactly what that means. But So you're the right angle cross of penetration, right? I got that right. Yeah. So for everyone listening, there are there's hundreds of different incarnation crosses. So I don't know all of them off by heart. But Manda's right angle cross carries the energy of initiation, essentially, right? Like starting new things. Uh, that kind of ambition to always have like new ways of doing things and experience. Like you want to be almost like the grassroots level to bringing something to to life, which is interesting because you're a manifester and you're a third line profile, which all kind of back up that energy. What do you see out of your right angle cross of penetration that has stood out to you so far? Not so much. Um, It's more just sort of playing around with it. There's not really a lot in terms of working with it so far. There's a lot more definitely I can see in the 
streamline um, and trying to work with that, that seems a lot clearer in my life. Mm-hmm. Where with the um, incarnation cross, it's the I started playing around with gene keys and looking at the sequence. Was it the pill sequence? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I took a lot of notes on like the different gates. So there's I've got 53 and 54, which is part of my cross. Um, I'd have to look up the other ones. But I started 50, taking a lot of notes. 51 and 57. <laughs> you got in front of you like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I did sort of start looking at those gates in particular, um, but I haven't really done anything, you know, I can't sort of say, yes, it's led me to do X, Y, Z. I'm still playing with that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because our incarnation cross is made up of our conscious and unconscious sun and earth. So even if you don't know what your unco- uh, what your incarnation cross is, just looking at your conscious and unconscious sun and earth is going to give you a lot of information. Uh, but if you read any text that has the full descriptions of the incarnation crosses, sometimes it can feel a little bit... Mm, unrelatable I I don't know like for mine I don't necessarily relate to it as much as I relate to the actual gates that make it up Um, Mm. and from a human design perspective our incarnation cross makes up 75% of our karma so it is a huge amount of like what we came here to express and experience in this lifetime and yeah I just I think it's it is an interesting journey because I think there's so many different layers of it when you think about the fact that there are four gates there and within each gate there's a line energy that's kind of prominent as well how you relate to each of those whether you relate to the whether you're expressing the the lighter side of it or the shadow side of it there's so many different variables but I do remember you mentioning your gate 51 the the tower is what I called it <laughs> yeah I think is that the gate of shock is that yeah yes 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh because you you relate to that quite heavily don't you I yeah I do um probably because I am somebody who seems to come out with things from left field and I've done that all my life so that kind of made sense looking at that yeah just all of a sudden coming up with something that, which sort of surprises people mm. it's not something it's not something you do intentionally it's just something that I just seem to have a knack for doing yeah yeah it's so interesting because that's your unconscious earth gate so when it comes to earth that's kind of what helps us feel grounded and stable and supported but it's also in your unconscious side so it's probably something that like simmers under the surface and then comes out every now and then as well but yeah it's just interesting to hear how the different aspects sort of show up in your outer reality I guess yeah, and that's also um, so six, six line on the gate 51 Mm, oh right yeah <laughs> so my, my unconscious six on my profile um where I'm probably more familiar with my sort of conscious three um and the conscious earth and conscious um a little bit more so yeah yeah oh it's so interesting and there's um would you agree like for me I always just think learning and embodying your human design is probably going to be a lifelong journey and it's like I still believe, despite despite perhaps maybe telling a manifester to embody their strategy and authority right at the start of their human design journey being maybe not the easiest advice to give, I still think that your strategy and authority are like the keys to really enjoying the rest of the stuff that's in your chart. Do you do you feel like that's fairly accurate or 
No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think the like key to really embracing and enjoying the rest of your chart is. I'm definitely going to go with the deconditioning. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm not saying strategy and authority aren't important, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that there's a, a lot of um, I know the term shadow work deconditioning is thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. but I think actually understanding a lot of those sort of influences. When you look at how you're created as in your design and in your life experiences, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of stuff that we're doing that we're sort of programmed to do. Yeah. And, and yeah. So if, if you were fully following um, your strategy and your authority, then maybe though that conditioning is not going to be so strong because you're more in alignment. But I think for a lot of us, the conditioning is stronger. Mm. You know, yeah. There needs to be that work on understanding that conditioning first because there's so much that we act out of that we've been pre-programmed to just by you know our experiences of society and what we're conditioned to and we just sort of unconsciously act that way because this has been our experience without actually questioning it going you know what do I believe how do I want to show up is this real does it need to be real wise words and so what has been most helpful for you or have you you've been on a journey of doing some of that deconditioning work have you yeah, and that's um, obviously being a splenic authority and then I've got all but one of my splenic gates defined. Um, yep. um, splenic gates are about fear. So uh, as a human design um, teacher that said to me, it's like, oh, you're just here to play with all the fears this lifetime. <laughs> well, it's fears and instincts though, right? I mean, it does mean that you have that beautiful ability to sense when things are off as well. But yeah, like dance with all the fears. So is that where you've spent a lot of your sort of focus on shadow work and deconditioning and that sort of thing? Yeah, quite a lot on, on the fears. Um, so I've done a fair bit of work around that. And then also just even the deconditioning around being a three. So just the... Um, that whole being the experimenter, the you know the messy projects kind of thing, and embracing that. Yeah. Um, because I'm mean, in our society, and I was conditioned. You don't want everybody to see your mistakes or your failures. Where that's really what the threes are here to do. Yeah. Okay. You show people those mistakes and the failures and the things, and they're all learning opportunities. So also just trying to get more comfortable with that. Can I ask what, do you have any favourite like modalities or anything like that that support you in that process? So most of my stuff, um, I, I do a lot of work with journaling and there's a particular uh, projector who I was following that was the first one who got me into a lot of that deconditioning. Christina Ingram. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I follow her on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, Christina. So I like her work and her approach to her um how she just sort of um defines the gate and journal prompts and that she's got for it so when you do your journaling process is it that you bring conscious awareness to the like it's like you zoom in on the conditioning and that then helps you process it do you have anything else that helps you process what comes up in the journaling process process it's it's maybe meditation um the body work's important, like where you're getting things in your body. I struggle a little bit with some of the different practices I've tried on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I need to get in, into my body to make sense of things, but I do that a lot through um, just walking and walking the dog because I'm doing that every day. Um, so that's kind of a nice reflection time. Um, um, other somatic practices I've tried a little bit, but I haven't really found one particular one that gels at any time. Yeah, it's interesting because I've, 
personally find that somatic work to be one of the most helpful ways to kind of process what comes up. I find that it can actually be quite uncomfortable, you know, like shadow work. And so I usually start with shadow work, like meditation, journaling style stuff, and then move into more of a somatic process to help move the energy, process the energy, and hopefully lovingly release it. <laughs> but, you know, it always comes back in some way or another. Um, it's a, it's a, I think a lifelong journey as well. You kind of break down layers and and then circle back to it at different times in my experience. Um, but I do think that that somatic stuff. So, so for example, for me, it's like emotional freedom technique is one of my favorite ways to deal with it. But actually when you mentioned going for walks, I, that is a huge part for me as well. And it's something that I actually probably hadn't really connected the dots with, but I do feel like I do a lot of that processing when I'm walking outside in nature, you know? So yeah, that's really cool. So do you find that you've had, have you found that you've had any sort of breakthroughs because of how your human design has pointed out some conditioning to you? Have you had any breakthroughs that you might not have had otherwise if you hadn't have been looking at your chart or diving into your human design? Yeah, I definitely think the, the underlying head was a big one for me because of the being the classic overthinker and also wanting to know like what the outcome is going to be and having the plan and that, that kind of hamster wheel with, with the open head centre. But, yeah, through the human design and knowing that I am somebody who's got to basically act that I learn by experience I'm not going to learn by thinking my way through it mm. um, and then also a lot of that conditioning like, like the, um, the the sort of the fears that you get and the insecurities you know the, the insecurities that come up from being a three with your like sort of all over the place and not focused on one thing and then and then some of the things you know they talk about manifest throat wounds which I haven't done much work on yet but in terms of that where you're too much for sort of certain environments you've been in because you're quite outspoken and strong world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a pretty common sort of area of wounding and conditioning for manifestors, that throat energy center. But I, I do think you as well kind of intuitively get led through your chart to the places that are most important to you. And so it sounds very much like your crown has been that for you. Do you have one specific piece of advice that you'd give other manif manifestors or just people who are on their journey to embodying their design in general? I think the biggest piece of advice would actually be um, don't believe what everybody tells you. Don't believe anything you're told. Um, yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of good advice, a lot of good information I've seen out there in human design. There's also a lot of stuff that is kind of rubbish. Mm. Um and then particularly when I was starting my journey, if one more person who was a non-manifestor told me just to inform, I would probably punch them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the anger was real. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I, I think, as you said, like, like you, you know what's actually right for you and mm. what actually makes sense. And if you're drawn to certain things, if there's, there's particular things that are, uh, you know, indicating interest to you, then that's probably where you need to start and explore more. Yeah, I, I think that's really awesome advice because the last thing I would want for anyone on their human design journey is to let it be another part of their life where they just give their power away to other people telling them what to do. <laughs> like that to me would just be the saddest, like, I mean, it would just be really disappointing to think that we've got this beautiful tool and essentially you're just getting bullied or, you know, told how to live your life through a different medium yeah I love that 
So what's next? What is the next part of your chart that you've been drawn to that you're, or that you're, what are you kind of most paying attention to at the moment? Yeah, I still keep coming back to the three. So it's um, over the last few years, I've been trying to get more and more into my creativity. Not that I, I'm not really an artist or anything like that. Um, and it's one of those things that I know I have to experiment with to actually figure out what I want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to sort of experiment and share the journey on that that whole part of being a bit, m- bit more vulnerable and open um, and, and, and yeah, de- dealing with my own sort of insecurities and putting myself out there and then figuring out what the path is going to be along those lines. And I'm very much following my spleen on that. So I've definitely been getting sort of intuitive hits and things I should be doing um, and then battling my head that's going, no, that's not right, you shouldn't be doing that. So just very much one day at a time process at the moment. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. It's funny because you say that you're not an artist, but to me, you are one of the most creative people I know. Like, I love your your blog, your um, social media, the Tinkerer's Life. Like, it's watching what you're doing, experimenting with all different art mediums is always super interesting to me. I think the way that you 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 are always doing something different with your art, right? <laughs> yeah, that's you- why I call it Tinkerer's Life because I'm just tinkering. I've got really no idea. Just making yeah. it up. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's always it's always beautiful to see. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so grateful that you're able to shed some light on life as a manifester. And I know I've actually got a, definitely a few manifestors that will be listening because they slide into my DMs quite regularly to tell me how much they're enjoying the podcast. So they'll be so happy to have someone that shares some similar energies to them being able to share some insight. So thank you for that. You're welcome. No, thanks for having me. It's been fun. How good was that? Oh my goodness. I really just love Manda's honesty. I love her straight up attitude and the way that she has really embraced the journey to embodying her human design a little bit fearlessly and with a lot of curiosity, which has really helped her discover the the most important parts of her design. I think this whole concept of really getting down and dirty with your conditioning before you dive into fully trusting, I guess, your strategy and authority is so, so important and so accurate. And it is a large part of what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients is the shadow work, the inner child work, all that healing, all that peeling back the layers of conditioning that we've built over a lifetime it's no joke. And it is a really beautiful way for you to actually then once you've started on that journey, you don't have to have it perfect, but at least once you've started on that journey, being able to follow your strategy and authority and embrace the other beautiful aspects of your chart becomes so, so much more potent. It becomes so much more effective and it really increases the, your magnetism on a whole new level. So I just love Manda's words of wisdom about that. If you love this episode, why not share it with a friend? You know it makes me so, so happy. The more people that hear the podcast, the better. You could also leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for more people to find it, which is amazing. Until next week, team, take care. Keep milking the shit out of life, and I'll catch you in the next episode.